0: Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour. China retaliates. Beijing raises tariffs on $60 billion worth of U.S. goods in response to Washington's decision to hike duties on Chinese products. But President Trump isn't worried. The Dow tumbles 600 points as the U.S.-China trade war heats up, while the S&P 500 notches up its worst day since early January, losing more than $1 trillion
1: in market cap since May the 3rd. Uh, Technology stocks leading losses, with the sector shedding more than 3.5%, posting its worst day since January 3rd. And stocks across Asia extending the sell-off, whilst early US futures actually point to a higher open.
2: And at this hour, a California court orders buyer to pay $2 billion over Roundup cancer claims. Plus, the Supreme Court deals a major blow to Apple in the App Store antitrust case. And aluminum giant Roussel's first quarter profit drops as the impact of U.S. sanctions lingers.
0: So, very good morning once again, everybody. We've given you the raw headlines. I think we need, though, to dwell, don't we, a little bit on the nuances around this story? Because as you watched the market action yesterday, there were quite a lot of shifts in sentiment taking place and lots of different issues cropped up. Are the Chinese going to sell their treasury holdings or stop buying any more? Are they going to stop buying LNG from the United States? Are they going to stop buying more agricultural produce from the United States? States.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is that your read? No, you got to do it. Oh, oh, I, thought I, we just, I thought you oh. said ad lib
0: at the top. And let's oh no, I was going to do it, but yeah, you're okay.
1: absolutely right. No, and, and this is my point. And I have read, I like to think almost as much as you uh, about this. I've oh. I read about Gideon Rackman talking about revisionist trade policies and revisionist foreign policies from the Chinese and the U.S. as well. Uh, I've read the New York Times about this. All the reports coming through. I keep reading, and I'm failing. I'm a failure, Mr. President. I'm a failure because I can't see with the bit where it says the Chinese are paying the tariffs. And I can't see the bit that said the Chinese are paying for this, because everything you just mentioned at the top, plus loads and loads more, is heaping pain on the U.S. consumer, U.S. corporates, U.S. agriculture, U.S. farmers within that, U.S. LNG producers, U.S. shale producers. I can't see the bit where those guys are winning out of this as well. I can't see where the substitution is coming from. Yeah, Chinese high cost because we're putting the tariffs on. Where is the substitution? Well, I'm afraid a lot of these contracts are long term as well. You can't just switch your supply chain to Vietnam overnight. You can't switch it to the African continent overnight. This is a long term uh, set of logistics, strategic issues, partnerships, MOUs, you name it as well. And you mentioned LNG. They're really suffering with their volumes to to China as well. You mentioned agriculture. Take a look at what's going on in soya. It's horrendous. The surpluses, and to be fair, a lot of this is about uh, the problems they're having in the domestic meat industry in China as well, with African uh, swine fever as well. And that means less need for soy products. So there is other things going on as well which are hurting the sector. But my goodness me, a lot of people are having pain here. If you're buying a washing machine, a white good, where do you think these things are made? They're made in China, and it's the consumers... Repair. So I want to see the evidence from Mr. Kudlow. I want to see the evidence from Mr. Manushin. I think these are very, very smart gentlemen as well. They must have a plethora of information for us. I just want to see some of it.
0: Well, let's read the read and see what the plan is <laughs> and find out exactly what they're doing. Trade tensions between the US and China have escalated after Beijing announced it will impose tariffs of up to 25% on $60 billion worth of US goods. It comes after President... President... President Trump hiked duties on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports. The Chinese levies will be placed on over 5,000 products, including food, building materials and consumer goods, and will take effect on June the 1st. Speaking at the White House, President Trump said further trade talks will take place with President Xi at the G20 summit in June.
1: We're in a very strong position. Our economy has been very powerful. Theirs has not been. Uh, We've gone up a lot since our great election in 2016. And uh, if you look at the numbers, they've gone down quite a bit. Uh, We're dealing with them. We have a very good relationship. Maybe something will happen. We're going to be meeting, as you know, at the G20 in Japan. And that'll be, I think, probably a very fruitful meeting. Well, we're seeing as we're ad-libbing this, Jeffrey. What yeah. we're going to do is something very elegant. We're going to go like this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're more madness. I was right. more Doris Day. God bless <laughs> Doris Day. What an amazing life that wonderful lady had. By the way.
0: Sera, Sera.
1: Whatever will be, will be. And that's the markets. The man K. Sarah. I wondered who Sarah was when I was a young person. But then I did Latin. I read, "What will be, K. Sarah will be." And we don't know what will be. One thing we do know is, do you know that they're not actually due to meet at all? at the moment, the Chinese and America. There are no trade talks lined up, but I know something. June the 28th, and I'm looking at it, is 45 days from now. Do you know how I know that? Because I looked at the diary. (laughs) And and June 28th is the start of this very important G20 meeting in Japan as well. So when maybe there'll be a chat between Xi and Trump, I mean, that's not really firm for the markets. So we've got within that, uh, let's say 45 days, what Mm. are we talking, 30-plus trading days where the market's got to work out what's going on here as well really worrying times. Anyway, let's have a look at these markets as well. There is one more point I want to make. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average down 2.4%. S&P down 2.4%. You can find sectors falling left, right and centre. Industrials, discretionary materials. But I want to make a quick point about the NASDAQ as well. Down, If I'm not invading your space. Down 3.4% here, yes? Within that we're seeing technology is down and having some of its worst sessions. 7% (laughs) lower since May the 3rd. Semi's down 10.3% since May the 3rd as well. But let me just make a point to all you ladies and gentlemen in market world. You've had a hell of a good run, haven't you? Look at these numbers. Uh, NASDAQ is up 15% year-to-date still. You know, you're doing all right. You take 15% home, you're doing all right if you had this stuff. Uh, And 23.5% since Christmas Eve. So we've had a good run. We were perhaps due something for the downside. Well, the interesting thing
0: about this, and you're going to roll over and look at some other companies here that I I think will be... But but the point I just wanted to make about the NASDAQ is it, I think it's just a metre on broad market nervousness, right? So that was your growth sector, that was your momentum. You're worried about the broader market, you're worried about the upside potential, you sell the Nasdaq because that's where your winners have been, and you take some profit And that's at this where point. the herding has been as well. Absolutely. I mean,
1: people, I dare say, I don't mean to be rude, but a lot of people aren't showing that much mm. imagination. When you see a stock going up, you tend to buy it. It's really clever trading, it's called momentum. Or we used to call it buy on blue, sell on red. But then now it's buy on green, sell on red. Anyway, change there. Yes. Uh, the fact of the matter is that's what's going on a lot of these stocks as well. Age uh, technology. Let's have a quick look at some technology names for you. Here we go. Nvidia, which always seems to bear the brunt, down 6.14%. Uh, Facebook, Facebook owns WhatsApp, doesn't it? Yeah. World of pain going on there at the moment. They found a hack. Anyway, we'll move on that one later. Later on, uh, Alphabet down 2.7. Amazon down 3.5. Apple. We should mention Apple in uh, in China. Uh, conversations down 5.8%. Uh, what this means for iPhone sales, goodness knows as well. Uh, Intel down 3.1%. Quick look at the Asian markets for you as well. We have got lots to get through here as well. Uh, I think I've spoken far enough. 1.4% lower. Uh, w- 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 would some of these other uh, Asian markets actually supposed to be benefiting from the substitution story, I wonder? Yes. I mean, Obviously, Mays are primarily Chinese, <laughs> these, these two anyway.
0: Well, there is th- there is this point, isn't there? And th- and you've alluded to it several times uh, in this spot that we're doing here about whether U.S. businesses will now look to non tariffed countries for their sourcing. So, does that mean that Chinese companies continue to set up operations in countries like Vietnam and Bangladesh oh. and elsewhere in the region because that way they can avoid the sanctions Final or the, question uh, the tariff me. process? And I have
1: only questions. I don't have any answers. I'm not a smart ass here. I do not know anything. Uh, but. Uh, uh, sorry, a smart aleck. Uh, it's early morning. Some people are there's children watching the show, choking uh, on their cornflakes. Exactly. As we speak. Yeah, yes. I mean donkey, smart donkey, smart yes. ass. But but my point here is, uh, what is one belt and road about if it's not about just breaking some of the symbiosis of just having a purely huge trans-Pacific uh, relationship? Yes. Uh,
0: let's bring in Michael Priest. He joins us uh, from Taurus Wealth. He's a portfolio strategist. Michael, can I just start by asking you for your general thoughts yes. about how the investment community should be reacting to this trade war as we see it now?
3: Look, I think we're going to see a major repricing of assumptions. If you, if you put things into context and look back, look, I mean, look at your screens over the last few weeks. The headline always was equities rise for hopes of trade war solutions. Now it looks like that the tariffs start to look like a goal and not like a tool, and that these tariffs could be permanent. So I think that leads many people to rethink their investment strategies. And I think many people have, in my opinion, wrongly focused on the trade side. It's beyond trade. It's ultimately about potentially a China containment strategy and also to encourage domestic investment in the U.S.
0: The... And that's fascinating what you're saying. The, if, if I could throw the Fed into this as well, because it does seem as though we enjoyed a an improvement in broad risk sentiment after the Fed pivot, and that does seem to be washing out of the market as well, and we put on top of that this issue of whether these tariffs are going to be permanent or not. Do you see then any opportunity to take on risk um, over the short to medium term through this uh, the rest of this year?
3: Selectively, I, I think volatility most probably is going to pick up even more. But I think what's very clear in my mind is that, look, I mean, if you think about it, President Trump often watches the stock market very closely. Is, I think it's no coincidence that the tweet about China tariffs came just the weekend after the U.S. stock market reached an all-time record high again and was up roughly 17% for the year. So, again, I think the Trump administration and some people there have potentially decided to short-term pain I think that seems to be the strategy. And if that means that the stock market goes down, the next, so they so be it, I because I think they know that it's in the long-term strategic interest of the U.S. to now be firm with the Chinese.
2: Michael, I want to pick you up on your point about the Trump administration's thinking here. Do you think that Trump has effectively calculated that there's less to be gained now from striking a deal than there is to be uh, gained from continuing with tariffs uh, from the perspective of his voters, that he keeps uh, a hard line and uh, continues to press on with this mission?
3: I look, to me, that looks increasingly high probability. outcome, I think it is the uh, idea domestic in the U.S. As Mr. Trump t- uh, tweeted the other day, the solution to terrorists is easy, build it in the U.S.A. And, and that, of course, leads, again, to the point about supply chains and restructuring. That will happen, and that potentially lead to some uh, volatility in markets and repricing of securities, but long-term, it should be okay. It's, just, it's, it's a firm economic strategy that's being implemented, and if there's some volatility, so be it, I suppose. I think that's ultimately, I think, their stance on this at the moment.
2: Well, uh, Michael, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Michael Price, portfolio strategist from Taurus Wealth. I want to take you to some of the moves we saw yesterday in markets, starting with volatility. We saw a spike in the market volatility index, the VIX, very closely watched by investors. It did rise to 21.3 at one point yesterday, its highest level since May 9th. It settled around 20.5. That was a 28% spike yesterday. So a return to volatility in markets uh, for sure yesterday. On the flip side, we saw a bid for safe-haven assets, as you would expect in this risk-off environment. Uh, Gold rallied about 1% higher yesterday. Right now, gold giving back a little bit of those gains, down about six basis points this morning. Uh, Also a bid for the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen, safe-haven assets. And the yield curve in the U.S. shifting lower. We saw a strong bid for U.S. Treasuries. Uh, it debate remains around whether that is a reflection of the escalation in trade tensions or a, re- a reflection of where we are with the Fed and what all this means for the rate outlook for the U.S. But the picture here is one of lower moves for U.S. Treasuries, uh, and that is the picture for risk uh, risk assets and safe haven assets yesterday. Steve,
1: uh, Jillian, is this is the first time you've anchored Squawk Box. No, i have anchored no. a
2: couple times when First you time you've Jeff done it with me away. though
1: isn't it yes well, good luck <laughs> no really great to have you i'm so pleased you've joined us actually this morning so what thank a great day much. for you thank you very much indeed <laughs> for joining the team anyway right let me just uh, tell you trade tensions escalate of course speculation increasing well, this Beijing could start selling down its massive holdings of treasury bonds. I don't particularly like this story per se. But anyway, the editor in chief of China's state run Global Times tweeted that, quote, Chinese scholars are discussing the possibility of dumping US treasuries and how to do it specifically. Well, Lawrence Mutkin is the global head of G10 rate strategy at BNP Paribas. And Lawrence. Fair enough. The story is there, and it comes up every time, like a horny old chestnut, every time we talk about uh, problems between the U.S. and China. But, yeah. but, but, I, I think it could happen naturally because if you look at the Chinese policy, is to reduce their dependence on exports as well. If you look at the fact that actually U.S.-China trade flows have been diminishing anyway, which means less recycled dollars are needed anyway for Treasury. So, I see a natural erosion of those holdings anyway well i don't
4: know about an erosion, but it 's certainly true that the the rise that we 've seen in japan in Chinese holdings of treasuries um, has plateaued in the last couple of years and it's plateaued as you say because the vast amount of exports that the Chinese economy started growing with has diminished so what how do, how do reserves happen? Reserves happen because the Chinese central bank ends up with dollars that it has to recycle into these treasuries. And, And as you say, now that the trade flow is flattening out, that's more or less plateaued anyway.
1: What I think is another potential uh, seismic shift or potentially that could happen is, and we mentioned the dollar. We talk about the dollar all the time, but obviously everybody's always looking for alternatives. Every time they get upset with Americans, they look at alternatives. When the Russians get upset with them, they talk about South-South trade or uh, uh, East-East trade or what have you. uh, And they don't need the dollar anymore as well. But the U.S. has been bemoaning its position uh, in world trade at the moment, how they've been subsidised in the Chinese, but actually the fact that they've been able to do everything in dollars has kept their borrowing costs so low as well. Do you see any changes there in the medium term?
4: I mean, the, the, the dollar is the invoicing currency of world trade, and it's, uh, it, the incumbency of that is very hard to shift. Um, there are so many advantages, just not, not, only, not only the uh, advantages of market liquidity and so on, but just in terms of the infrastructure around dollar trading, that that seems to be always... Uh, where the market's gone back to and we've seen in the past as you say when tensions have arisen in different blocks there's, a, there's an idea of moving pricing to other currencies and, and, and there are obviously trans- transactions done in things that are not dollars but ultimately the market tends to price it back through the dollar because that's where the the greatest liquidity yeah, this is. is. one
1: anecdote. I had a wonderful guest here once. Um, actually, she was a baroness of the realm. And, and she said, oh, yeah, we're, we're selling property in Dubai, uh, and we're going to let people do it in Bitcoin. I said, but Bitcoin is so volatile. You can't use your cost. And He goes, oh, yeah, it's immediately convertible back into dollars. I was like, so why the Bitcoin? Anyway, ridiculous. <laughs>
2: I want to go back to the impact of China selling treasuries if they proceed to do so. I mean, even if they were to sell billions of dollars worth of their treasury holdings, it still leaves them with billions of dollars worth of treasury holdings. So if they start selling, put a substantial amount of pressure on the market, don't they end up inflicting pain on themselves with the mark-to-market impact of that?
4: Well, I guess, I guess they would, although, again, with reserves, no one's quite sure what the, why mark-to-market's important. But the truth of it is, if you sell your treasuries, you have to buy something else. You know, how, what are you going to do? you Are going to put money on deposit at a US banking institution in dollars? I mean, in a way, the reason that they're in treasuries, the reason all reserves end up in government bonds, is partly because it's the obvious place for reserves to be. But especially in the case of China, we're talking over a trillion dollars' worth of treasuries even now. It's very hard to find a home for a trillion dollars in many places. The liquidity is just not there.
0: Although the Fed could just buy them itself, right? (laughs) And just increase its balance sheet, as it has done in in the past. So it's a hollow threat. Effectively.
4: But again, I would say just follow the money. When they sell them, yeah. what do they get back for them? They get U.S. dollars. Mm. are they going to put them on deposit at you know, uh, their local mom and pop bank? It's, it's, it's not really feasible to get out of the dollar system. Of course, that's not to say you can't sell dollars into other currencies for, um, to take a view on where currencies will go to. Mm. But it's not about where are you keeping your, your reserve wealth.
2: All right, uh, Lawrence Mackin leave it we will leave it there but plenty more to discuss shortly. Lawrence Mackin, Global Head of G10 Rate Strategy from BNP Paribas. Let's take a look at opening calls for Europe yesterday it was a down day for European markets with the stock 600 ending 1.2% lower. It looks like we're going to see a little bit of a rebound this morning all four major indices pointing to a higher open.
1: And if you just can't get enough of the score box, be sure to tune into our very own podcast head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode.
2: back to Squawk Box. But one of the interesting moves we saw yesterday came from gold, as you would expect in a risk-off day. Gold settled up about 1% yesterday as investors fled some of those riskier assets in favor of safe havens. Now this morning, gold giving back a little bit of those gains down about three basis points below that 1,300 mark. More of a mixed picture across the broader metal space, but certainly keep an eye on gold today as we look to see how the markets continue reacting to the escalation in U.S.-China trade. Jeff?
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Let's talk about aluminium. Roussel has uh, hit a four-month low in Hong Kong after reporting a 44% fall in first-quarter net profit. The company, citing lower aluminium prices alongside lingering fallout from US sanctions, which were lifted in January after being in effect for eight months. The company's chief executive said he was focused on restoring market position amid the uncertainty of the US-China trade war.
1: Uh, it's a mess in the European steel sector. I think it's, it, that's a fact at the moment. and There's real plan Bs being drawn up left, right and centre. Thyssen Krupp, of course, was trying uh, to have a merger of India's Tata steel, but now Gido Kerkhoff uh, over at Thyssen needs a plan B as well. But uh, let me just tell you what the numbers are. Adjusted EBIT down 29%. Down 29% at €353 million Euros as well. The uh, profit... Uh, for the second quarter, isn't a profit. It's a net loss, €99 million Euros versus €240 million Euros last year. Um, they Just a bit of cash flow. Bearing in mind, what did I just say the revenues were? I didn't tell you. €10.64 billion Euros of sales, yeah, up 2%. What do you think the free cash flow is on the back of that? Yeah, €23 million. Euros, and that's before MA as well. So lots and lots of questions for Tiss and Krupp on what happens net, next. Uh, Anetta uh, joins us now from Essen with more. Anetta.
5: Well, it's actually a very interesting uh, turnaround or restructuring story. ThyssenKrupp last Friday just made a huge overhaul of their strategy when they uh, were saying that they're no longer planning on merging their steel business with Tata Steel because of concerns that the EU regulator will say no. And then they also said, okay, we're no longer planning to split the company in two. Instead of that, we are planning to reintegrate the steel business and also IPO the elevator business. So it- That's one side of the thing. Actually, it was an interesting market reaction. The the shares went up by almost 30% on Friday, retracted again yesterday by another 10%. And let's see what the the market makes out of that numbers, because clearly the numbers show us how urgent a new strategy is warranted, because clearly the numbers are far below market expectations. The net loss is, again, was not expected at all. Looking at order intake, that is also, attached shy of expectations, sales are shy of expectations. And if you look at what the company is saying, Uh, about the outlook, that also sounds not extremely optimistic, because clearly ThyssenKrupp is feeling the headwinds from the trade war, from the economic cycle going down, especially in their material business, but kind of everywhere in their, their divisions. Looking at their strategy, what investors probably like about it, that they are sort of mirroring what we are seeing with Siemens. That's the new sort of, I guess, management mantra that it's better to have a holding structure instead of a conglomerate, because looking only at the elevator business, very profitable business at ThyssenKrupp, it that could actually be valued a lot higher on the market if it was not inside the conglomerate. So there will be an IPO of that part of the business somewhere and then in the next. Uh, next two years uh, they are guiding us but as of now the numbers as I was saying they're there as uh, as I said lower than expected and most likely the market reaction again will not be very positive looking at the huge swings we have seen in the share price in recent days back to you
2: Annette, I want to just pick you up on their elevator business. This has been their star business. This is the big news last week that they are going to look to IPO this business. This is what a lot of the investors had wanted. But today we learned that the elevator business saw margins contract this quarter down from uh, 11.6% a year ago to 10.6% today. How much of an impact do you think this is going to have on the pricing and the outlook for this business where a lot of investors are putting their uh, their money
5: well, actually, I think it's probably early days to speak about the pricing of a potential IPO of the elevator business, but clearly we're seeing swings in that business. We're seeing uh, that the margins are also not, uh, yeah, they're they also flexible, so the company needs to work here. Also, going forward, when it comes to the cost side of things, and I think Krupp will have to handle quite a few things. Also, talking about new partnerships, that's the new thing as well. They are planning on on bringing new partners on board for all all variety of their business lines. They have quite a few business lines uh, in order to boost revenues, in order to boost profitability. And that's not necessarily what they're saying, meaning that they're keeping the majority in those businesses. So I guess going forward, we're going to see a lot of M&A transactions or actions surrounding Group.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news,
1: you can head to cnbc.com.